North Rock Podcast. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. We have fasted, they said, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is, the, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? It, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to lose the chains of injustice and, t- and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share the, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will, will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, at, you will cry for help, and He will say, "Here I am." If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointy finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will, will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast in the, on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Will you guys, will you guys join me in prayer, please? Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the words that you've spoken over this congregation and this body. And as we um, begin to look at what the scripture really means, Father God, to be a repairer of the wall, I ask that you would, um, one, keep me in check, that I will speak what you've asked me to speak, and that you will give us the heart that we need to have, Father God, to be that, that congregation. I thank you. I thank you that you do not shy away from what you've asked us to do. And I thank you that the power, the strength, and the resources come from you. Amen. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> It's always nice to have a little support from the echoes. I knew I wanted that whole chapter to be read. We've been looking at it for the last four weeks. It's um, something that uh, we as a staff have been reading over and over and discussing in our staff meetings and praying over. And uh, I knew that if I just read it, we'd get lost. But it was nice to have them to come up and be able to read that one more time. Um, 
as we're beginning to end this, this season of Heart for the House. Um, this has been a journey that, um, you know, I always teach my students that you, God always allows you to minister out of your overflow. And so this is certainly something that God's been doing in my life in the last four or five months where um, he's making me look at my foundations and he's making me look at my walls and he's beginning to uh, have me address them. And one of the things I, I've shared with this a few weeks ago that I was reading in Second Chronicles 7, and it's when Solomon had dedicated the temple and there was a huge celebration and they felt like they had really done it done it well. And Solomon went back to his palace and it says Solomon had completed everything that he set out to do and had returned to his palace. And then God spoke. And uh, I feel like that's kind of been a season for me where um, I had accomplished not, not everything I wanted to do, but I was, I was happy with what I was accomplishing. And um, then I continue to read in that chapter. And we come to the verse that says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And I had been praying for North Rock. I'd been praying that we would see God in a new way and that we would rise up and that we would take over our community. Not take over our community, but you know what I mean, serve our community. And um, I hit that scripture and I'm like, God, I have prayed. I know that there are other people praying. I don't understand. What do you want? And he said, read it again, Debbie. And it said, humble themselves and pray. I said, um, I don't feel like I'm a prideful person. This isn't about me. I'm not asking you to bless my ministry. I'm not asking you to promote me. I'm asking you to meet the needs of the people. And he said, your pride is that you think you have the answers. You've been doing this so long, you think you know what I want. Hmm. I was offering him a fast that he didn't ask for. That's humbling. And so I began to say, like, okay, what does that look like? Because obviously, I don't know. I'm willing, but I don't know. We have been in a season in our family of a broken heart. In July, we lost my father-in-law, who, if you would have asked me several years ago, I would have told you that would not have interrupted my life at all. We had, in the beginning, we had a very combative um, relationship. And we, you know, we, we kind of held our own. He, um, he was not as soft as I am, which tells you all you need to know. Uh, <laughs> he, was, um, he was a man that had been raised in, in severe poverty, did not know his father. His father died when he was very young. He was the youngest of 10. And um, he was six or seven young, years younger than his next sibling. And so he shares stories of just running the streets and doing what he wants. And uh, he was very comfortable speaking his mind, no matter what it was about or whether it was invited. And so in the beginning, I had not been around anybody other than myself like that. And so um, it was so abrasive. And I mistook what he was doing as being against me. He passed very suddenly. It was not expected. And uh, I was shocked at how shaken I was and how broken that left me. Because you know what I began to, what I had learned over the years? Is that this was a man who had committed his heart to God at one point and served him with everything he had. And the questions that he asked me and the things that he poked at me in was because he wanted me 
to love God and serve God with that same passion. Here's a man who did not make it past the sixth grade in school, but every one of his sons graduated from high school and, and most of them went to college, who owned multiple houses at the end of the day and who preached the gospel to his family continually, both in words and in actions. And I realized when he passed that I had let him take responsibility for sections of my wall and my foundation. I had relied on him. Grandpa was the one that taught. Grandpa was the one that prayed. And he was gone. And my foundations, that confidence of knowing that he was there, shook me. And my heart was broken. You know, you respond differently when your heart's broken. You're no longer confident and sassy and let's move forward. It causes you to pause and to reflect. It makes you take stock of where you're at. And I can say as a family, we have all been doing that. In Psalms 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When our heart breaks, we have two choices. We can become angry and combative, or we can draw close to God. We can push into God because that's what he's wanting from us. And he began to say to me, "Is like, let me break your heart. Let me break your heart. I'll be there. You're going to see me in a new way. I'm not done with you. You're going to see me in a new way. One of the scriptures that has been spoken over our church is that, do you not perceive that I'm doing a new thing? Well, you know what? If he's going to do a new thing, I have to make changes. I'm just saying. Um, And so our, our hearts have to be broken. I look at Isaiah 58, and one of, the, one of the verses that really gets me is that it says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old, age-old foundations. You will be called repair or broken of walls. I'm going to give a real brief history of who I am and what I've done, <clears throat> not because I want any credit, because I want you to understand something. Um, about 20 years ago, um, God laid on my heart South Thornton. Now, we live in the area, but everything we did was outside the area. I worked outside the area. We went to church outside the area. We shopped outside the area. I mean, we slept here, but everything was outside the area, and for some reason, he began to break my heart for this city, and it made absolutely no sense to me, to the point that I was driving one day to go to a a church in Denver. That's where we attended church, and he said to me, where are you going? And I said, to church, and he said, where have I called you? And I'm like, South Thornton? He says, find a church. And so I did. And I realized how difficult it was. As he began to continue to break my heart, I learned a couple of things at that time. I learned that Colorado was the third least church state in the country. And that out of, in Colorado, Adams County was the, uh, the least church county. We're sitting dead in the middle of the least church county in our state. So I made myself available. (laughs) And I learned a lot. My heart was broken by what I found. I understand what it means that the walls are down and that there are people out there that are unprotected and uncared for. 
we changed our lives. So I think about that ancient walls and repair of broken walls, and I think about Nehemiah. How many of you are familiar with Nehemiah? Nobody? That's hard for me to believe, and this is so much easier than first service because my husband was here first service. Um, And he is a lover of the book of Nehemiah. The man reads it, I think, every month he reads it. And he's always saying to him, like, well, in Nehemiah, um, he's just learned a lot in the book of Nehemiah. So when I felt like I was supposed to bring Nehemiah into it, I was like, I actually said to him, like, maybe you should preach. And he said, I am not preaching. Um, And so it was nerve-wracking for me to talk about Nehemiah and him been sitting there looking at me. But he said, I did well. Um, (laughs) So Nehemiah lived in a time when um, the Israelites had been in um, exile. And things were beginning to loosen up, and they were coming back into Jerusalem. Many of the people who were, had been exiled were returning to Jerusalem, but the city was in rubble. The walls were in rubble. They were unprotected. They had very few rights. And uh, Nehemiah's story is about his call back to, to Jerusalem to repair the walls. So I'm going to start with Nehemiah 1, 2. We're just going to go through some of this. Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, it was interesting to me when I read that, um, that his heart broke. You know, sometimes when I see things that are unjust or not right, I can become critical. I can become judgmental. But you know what God wants us to do when we see something not in repair? He wants our heart to break. He wants our heart to align with his heart. So I love that Nehemiah just stopped. It said that, that he prayed and fasted to God about what he saw. Then moving on, the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, this is his prayer as he finds out. The Lord, the God, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For you, for your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Two things. He acknowledged who God was. You know, sometimes when we're in the middle of a crisis and our world has been shaken, we just need to remember who God is. If we don't remember who God is, we start looking around, that is when we're in trouble. Because all we see is rubble. So he starts off and he's like, I'm going to remind myself of who you are. You are a God of love who keeps his covenants. That's what I know. I don't care what it looks like. You are a God of love who keeps your covenant. God didn't need to hear that. Nehemiah needed to hear that. But then the second thing he did was he looked at his own heart. And just like when God said to me, Debbie, you have pride, I had to look at my own heart and say, you know, I'm part of the problem here, God. You can't do a new thing when I'm wanting to do old work. Amen? 
(laughs) And so he says, I confess for the people of Israel, for myself and my family. It's not all my responsibility, but I'm going to tell you that I know that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I know that we've left what you've asked us to do. That's some humility. It's not judging anyone else. He wasn't going like, well, you know, so-and-so is not doing this. And, you know, it's a miracle the walls have any rubble at all. But he not only confessed it, but he also owned his own. He didn't declare himself better than the rest. He was like, we're in trouble. And then he reminds God, let's look at 8 through 9. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. I have chosen. North Rock Church is not here because we decided it would be a good place to be. When I had the nonprofit, I sat and watched church over after church move from South Thornton to North Thornton. We weren't attending church here. We were attending the church who was moving. And you know what I saw? I saw this church move from North Thornton to South Thornton. And I was like, there's a people with a calling. And we changed. Because I know that God had said he wanted to do a work here. And, your, and the, the church came. They ran toward the rubble and not away from the rubble. And I stopped and paused. I saw a 1,000 people a week coming to me with needs and concerns and requests for help. As I see churches exiting, and I saw one church come. And I'm like, God has a call in that church. And then as I hear the words that he's spoken, that, that Isaiah 58 was one of the words that he used to bring this church here, I'm like, yeah, there's something you want to accomplish here, God. I want to be a part of it. He reminds God of his promises. Nehemiah 10, 1.10, he says, They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. This was not a priest. This was not a leader. This was a man who served the king. How often do we sit back and say, I'm not the one? Not my job. You know how I know we do that? Because I did that. (laughs) God laid on my heart to be in South Thornton. And the first thing I said to him was like, yeah, my church doesn't really do ministry in South Thornton. And he said, and your point? And then he, he just kept asking me something. And I kept giving him excuses. He said, you are the church. I have called you here. Debbie, as a cupbearer, you need to make some changes in your life. We hide, right? But each one of us have a purpose. He brings us together so that when we work to fulfill that purpose. But I'm accountable for myself. 
he also knew that God had placed the king as his authority. You notice he didn't just go like, well, I'm going to tell the king. See, young Debbie would have done that. Young Debbie would have said, I heard from God, and I don't really care what they say. Here's where I'm going. Chad thinks his lucky stars. He didn't have me on staff at that point. (laughs) But after much brokenness, I realized, you know what? The people in authority over me submit to my God. And if he's asking me to do something, he's going to have them in line. It may not be the first time I ask him, but he'll do their heart. If it's really from God and the timing is right, he'll have their heart where it needs to be. I don't need to worry about that. Dennis, my husband, was an accountant, very much into, you know, budgets and, and stuff. And uh, I had taken my daughter to college, private college, private Bible college, praise Jesus. And um, while I was there, I felt like God said to me, I'm asking you to quit your job and be available. He didn't even ask me to a place or a position. Be available. Hello? So Dennis, we're sitting, we're sitting getting Tiffany's car, looked at one last time before we leave her. And I said to Dennis, like, God's been dealing with me. He goes, you know, yeah, really? Now. I said, I think I'm supposed to quit my job. Why? I'm supposed to be available. (laughs) I thought this was my second out, right? My church didn't do it. My husband is not going to say yes. We're putting our our first child in college. We got another one coming up pretty quick. You know what he said to me? And then picked me up off the ground afterwards. If God's asking you to do it, you better do it. I, I didn't even know what to say. But you know what? My authority is my authority. And when it's a green light, it's a green light. When it's a red light, God needs a deal and I'm not involved. He knew that he had to go to the king. So we asked God to give him favor. He approached the king with respect for his position and with humility. So he approaches the king and it says, Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face... So the king asked Nehemiah, let me back up a minute, sorry guys. Um, So the king said to Nehemiah, why do you look so sad today? I love that. Because I always say there's two types of people. There's a type of person who always looks sad, so you just quit asking. (laughs) Amen? Like, you know that person that always... You just go like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> they're the same today as they were yesterday. I don't, I don't want to get involved. I'm not talking about being in heavy trials, but there's people who just, everything's drama. Nehemiah was not that kind of a man. He had character. He knew what it was like to, he, he honored his, his authority. He evidently showed up ready for work and did a good job. He was in a well-trusted position. So when he shows up and his countenance has changed, the king recognizes it. And he says, Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid, but I answered the king. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? I want you to notice something. He was pointing back to his foundation. He's like, I'm in distress because I know the foundations that God put in place for me have been shaken. 
He did not go into like, well, you know, we were attacked over and over again, and then y'all plundered us, and then you sent us into exile, and it's just hard getting back on our feet after everything everybody's done. Hello? We laugh, but we all know we do it, right? But he says no. You know what? Something God is wanting to get accomplished is not getting accomplished, and that's breaking my heart. That's why I'm sad. When we, when we allow ourselves to do the other, we become self-righteous. Which is just ugly on anybody. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Stops and prays. See, we need to stop and pray after we prayed. Sometimes we go, like, I've been praying, I knew what to say. I like that he paused and said, okay, God, let me speak what you want me to speak. Don't let me. So he prays. And I answered the king, if it pleases me, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. How many times do we look for somebody else to rebuild it? I'm great at delegating. God actually corrected me on that one time. He asked me to do something. I found somebody better qualified. <laughs> he said, that's not what I ask you to do. And I had to go back and, and take it back. But he wasn't looking. He didn't say the people, the people in Jerusalem need to rebuild that wall. Can I go tell them they need to rebuild the wall? This is ridiculous. He said, so I can go rebuild the wall. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Not every time he calls us is to a position or a career change. Nehemiah was going back to his original life. He was just supposed to be a, take part in the rebuilding of the wall. We always make it bigger than it needs to be, right? If it was us, we'd have said, like, well, I'm going to have to apprentice under somebody for about two or three years, so I'll know what I'm doing. And then I need a certificate. And uh, then I'm going to have to go and have all my plans approved. Mm-mm. God has laid this on my heart, and I need to go. Nehemiah set out during the night with a few others. He, he says, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. Here's the other thing that we, we kind of want when God calls us to something. We want a consensus and a team. I believe in building teams, but you know what? Sometimes he plants it in your heart and you're just supposed to start walking. When he called me to my city, it was me. It was me. And I would say things to people. When I say that Jesus is asking me to be available, My Christian friends. Hmm. I knew what I heard. I just started walking. You don't have to get a consensus. You begin to survey and you begin to move. He'll show you what you need. He's our sovereign God. He has the plan. We're joining him. It may be surprising to us. It's not surprising to him. You were created for that. He's been equipping you since the day you were born. If he tells you to move, he's already made provision. 
Then I said to them, so after he, he surveys the wall, he comes back. This is when he says to the people, I love how honest he is. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. He had bathed in prayer. He had done his homework. He was there to do the work. He testified to the doors that God had already opened. You know what? We have different stages of faith. Sometimes we're the first one to walk through the door because that's where our faith is at. Somebody else is on the other side looking, going like, they okay? Were they eaten by lions? Oh, they actually have provision and permission? Well, I guess I could help. But somebody has to go through the door first. Somebody has to be obedient first. Somebody has to jump in first. Nehemiah jumped in. So he goes on and it says, Sanballat the Hornite, Tobiah the Amorite, Amorite official, and Jeshim the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked? Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God in heaven will give us success. We are his servants. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any other claim or historic right to it. You know what? We don't need to punish them. Their punishment is their own. That's what he's saying. You can judge my motives. You can mock me. You cannot participate. But you know what? You're going to miss out on what God's doing. You have that choice. I'm not even going to respond to what you're doing because I know who's with me. Guys, we don't need to be afraid when God calls us to do something. We don't need to shrink back. All the people participated. The priests participated. People from all different walks of life. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 3, it just starts listing off all the people and families that began to rebuild the wall. Everybody took responsibility. Everybody, not everybody. There were a few who did not, but it didn't slow the people who did down. And you know the part that I love the most is that, do you know where Nehemiah had them build the wall, repair the wall? Where they lived. (laughs) He didn't say like, you know, that Debbie's over there and is a hot mess. Could you go over there and straighten her out and fix her wall? Mm -mm. He had them repairing the wall by where they lived. What wall are you by that needs some repair? What wall are you by that needs restoration and hope? I love that he put them by where they live. Ouch. But how good is that? So it says in chapter 4, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. They weren't playing patty cake. They got this wall done in 52 days. They weren't horsing around because they worked with all their heart. Their broken heart. And they knew the only way that that broken heart was going to heal was to have the work completed. To have it restored. 
This was not a peaceful, easy time. There were threats against them. There were all kinds of rumors going on. They were accused of all kinds of things, so much so that at one point, they were working with their tool in one hand and a sword in the other. But they didn't stop. It didn't slow down. How many times when we feel like we're, we're being attacked or something's happening in our life, we go like, I just need to stop for a minute because it's so hard. I'm going to sit over here with my sword. You stop when God tells you to stop. And you work when God tells you to work. And sometimes you're just working and fighting at the same time. You know why? That's how your faith increases. That's how you learn to trust on God. You don't trust in God from reading and sitting. Later, there were people who were taking advantage of him, and there was conflict with, among the people. Are we all not shocked at that? <laughs> there was conflict amongst the people, and Nehemiah had to go straighten it out and call people to task and to operate in a righteous way. You know what? When you're building the wall, you're being discipled. When you're building the wall, your heart's getting fixed. Your, your issues are get, coming to light. He's doing a new work in you. Nehemiah 6. So the wall was completed on um, the 25th of LU in 52 days. Listen to this. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Hmm. We can't do it alone, guys. It is because of God. You see, it starts. The work on the wall, I can't tell you what we need to do next. But it starts with our heart. We have to ask God to break our heart, to align our hearts with him so that his priorities overcome our priorities. We can either damage our walls by being critical and judgmental and looking for somebody else to do it, or we can be a repairer of our own wall which will strengthen all of our walls. We have to see ourselves as a church that believes we are not here to fellowship with one another and love one another. Thank God that's part of it. I'm so thankful for that. But it's not our sole purpose. That there is a specific purpose for this church. There was a call from this church from the beginning to reach the lost, to gather people, to help them grow and to go. That's what we're a part of. And in different seasons, it's going to look differently. And we have to all adjust and say that's okay. We have to be responsible, Josh, for the repair of our own wall before anything else. I'm going to have the worship team come. And I just have a final thought as we close. I can't tell you how you're supposed to repair your wall. I can't tell you what the next steps are. I'm not supposed to ask. I'm supposed to ask God to give me his heart. So here's what I'm asking you. Can you imagine if for the next seven days, every person in this building began to ask God for his heart for our church and the community, what would happen? How would we be transformed? Because that's really what he's about, right? God, give me your heart. 
I'm not going to think about what so-and-so is doing or what I'm lacking or what I need or what I... God, give me your heart. Give me your heart. Give me your heart for those walls that have fallen, for our community that is lost. Give me your walls for the people in the church that I haven't even bothered to speak to. Give me your heart. It's scary. None of us want to think about our heart being broken. But if we think about the fact that God shows up in those moments, that he reveals himself in those moments, that our faith is increased and we're better equipped, we can press in even when we're fearful. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you. And I ask that you continue the work in myself and in the leadership and in this body, Father God. Break our heart for your vision. God, I don't ask for comfort for us. I ask for obedience for us. Stir our hearts. Father God, put a passion in each one of us of the section of wall that you're asking us to put our hand to. Transform the way that we operate and do business like it says in Isaiah 58, that we'll show up differently when we enter this building because we know we're walking into your purpose in this season, in this location. Thank you, Father God. Thank you that you are wanting us to be a part of it. And thank you that you don't, you don't forget and you don't turn away. Amen. We're going to close in our prayer that we pray every week. And I want you to think about, um, as I've been saying it, God's asked me to be present and to really pay attention to things that I normally take um, for granted. This prayer can be one of those things because we say it every week. But as you look at it and you pray, think about what those lines are saying. Um, we invite him in. If we're inviting him in on a continually ba- continual basis, our heart will stay with his heart. It's not a one-time prayer, but it is a prayer of commitment for the way we walk. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the grave three days later. I receive forgiveness for every failure and sin in my life and give to you the right to direct my life from this day forward. I dedicate myself to learning the scripture, living in fellowship with God's people, following you in water baptism. In Jesus' name, I pray and trust. Amen. I look forward. I, I look forward to hearing what God does in our hearts this week as we all press in together. I'll be praying for you as you pray for us. Amen. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to this North Rock resource. To find out more information about North Rock Church, check us out at www.northrockchurch.com.